evening. How are you, Brother Dan? I'm doing really well on a Monday. How about you, Brother? <laughs> I can't complain. I'm actually doing very good. I will say, cool. uh, for those of us who are going to be joining us by watching the podcast, I'm excited. And I know that if I'm excited, you too are excited because of what happened yesterday at the end of service. Yeah, man. Um, so we have two names written down in glory, and they're not mine, uh, but they are a new brother and sister in Christ that will have the privilege of baptizing on Sunday. So um, exciting, exciting, exciting. That is also good. So if you are in the Divine area in Texas, zip code 78016, you need to come and celebrate the newness of life. Um, and not, by the way, we are not tooting our horns can I be honest with everyone here, Pastor Dan, myself, we're not that impressive, nope. but God is. <laughs> yep. And so that's that's really amazing. So, Pastor Dan, um, we got some feedback uh, from our first episode last week. One, they really like the one-hour length. Now, okay, we'll see. Uh, of course, the rule of thumb is make it as long as it takes for, for you to get your point across. Don't dilly-dally too much. Just get to sure. the point. Um, and that's just gurus who have been doing this for way longer than we have. Uh, sure. Second, my wife being my wife who keeps me very much accountable uh, tells sure. me, dude, just stick to the text. You got it, honey. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Good feedback. It is. Feedback helps makes us better, better focused, I would say. All right, so without dilly-dallying too much into the weeds, let's get into the real meat. So why don't you walk us through the text that we went through yesterday morning for both services? So where were you and what's going on in the text? So um, we uh, were in Jeremiah chapter 32, um, and what's going on in the text is the hour of Judah's fall is imminent. Um, what, uh, what's going on is no longer is there any sense that um, Judah is going to persevere by her own strength or, or, or her own might, nor is there any opportunity for um, any external forces to, to come and save or liberate or to delay uh, the inevitable any longer. Um, what is uh, evident is that the time in which uh, Jeremiah has been prophesying about is, is about to be. Um, right. And so Jeremiah is still in, in prison. Um, he's still in uh, that house that's been converted over to a prison uh, for him um, because uh, Zedekiah is not a fan of his and uh, hasn't liked a thing that, that Jeremiah's had to say about, you know, his, his country falling, that he's going to be hanging out with, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar in, in Babylon himself. He doesn't like any of that stuff. And so because of that, and, uh, and because of Jeremiah's unwavering faithfulness to the word of God, uh, we're at a point where Jeremiah's still in that prison, and he is still holding uh, that, that line um, that, that God has given to him, uh, and he's not wavering. And so uh, you see 
uh, despair and hopelessness kind of prevailing over at least the scene or the backdrop of the scene um, that that uh, that we're presented in as we begin in uh, chapter 32. Right. And so because um, I know to most people this is okay. I should have been better prepared because I know I have my notes. Just give me a second. I'm off yeah. shot for a moment. And so, uh, you know what? Let's try this. Brought to you by the state of Texas. Anyway, that's what's interesting. Is, was that was that a cannon fire? Um, in, it's in transition Gonzales? number five. Oh. <laughs> transition number five. Although oh. this this probably is more fitting for us. Uh, is that now the firing line uh, that? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, because when when you went out of shots, the state the state flag behind you. So it's like I, I'm I'm thinking like 1836 and Texas independence. That, that, that did not go well for my side. Just saying, because I'm originally <laughs> from Mexico, didn't go well for Santana. Uh, that, um, if not, you know, in the long term, meaning you yeah. know. Um, uh, where, mean, where was it? Matter of perspective, could you guys really control Texas anyway? <laughs> Would you want to? Anyway, stick to the text. Sorry. Uh, yeah, stick to, stick to the text. So, one of the ways that I think pastors can get the most affirmation, uh, two things. One, when someone begins to preach and you hear the ruffling of pages as people turn to the text, that's very affirming to pastors, number one. Number two, take notes. Because notes is where it's at, just saying. Kind of helps me uh, stay focused. So one of the things that you started off very early on is based on true events. And so you kind of, there was a real good sense of captivating the audience with walking us through a, a story uh, about the Exodus. Uh, and the little girl being kind of like the central figure of your nar narrative to get the people hooked into the text. One yeah. of the things that I really enjoyed was this particular thing is the title. What are you clinging to? Mm -hmm. um, and so why don't you, based on the text, how, how, why don't you walk us through what are the people of Judah clinging to that that is unhealthy, spiritually speaking? Well, the, particularly the people, so limiting this uh, to the people of Judah. Sure. They are clinging to their sense of entitlement. Um, so they, I, I would not argue from a position, uh, from any position that uh, Judeans had a perspective that, that, that they were not God's people. Mm -hmm. um, I think they still understood that. But what they had lost in the in the in time was what that actually meant, and what and there's a tension when we apply these two words. But what that obligated them to, and what that gave them privilege to do, um, and I, I see that as being a both and in using those words and applying that to uh, both Judah and Israel uh, coming to this uh, date and time. Um, so what they're clinging to is their their entitlement. Um, they're they're not going to be subject to these things that Jeremiah and others uh, in the school of prophets, if you will, of that day have been uh, proclaiming. Um, 
and they're clinging to what what makes sense to them, right? Um, you know, the the idea. I mean, the the, the whole intention uh, with the the Israel endeavor, if you will, um, that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant is right. that God is going to God has elected Abraham uh, to be the father of what? Faith. Oh, is right? this is this a quick yeah. okay, I, I thought yeah, yeah, okay, I, I was, I was seeing if you're awake. <laughs> oh man. Based on true events, Carlos. Are yeah, you I know, I know. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, I am hooked. Okay. I'm very hooked. Okay. Um, so he's he's elected to be the father of faith, and so that you right. so, um, and through that that uh, that there would be the lineage of being a blessing uh, to to the to the peoples to the nations, and so um, as the con- the continuation of that heritage or that that tradition, um, the Judeans and the Israelites uh, inherit these things. And so um, what they're clinging to is that they have lost their saltiness. They have lost their distinctiveness. They have lost their sense of purpose in their way. So elements of the law that, uh, that I think at times we, we have been uh, in, in the New Testament era very anti-law. Uh, and okay, and let me clarify that. We're free from, from keeping of the law. Um, but we, I think we have miscommunicated what the purpose and the intention of the law that was given along the way, um, right. to, to make this point that we're, that Christ has freed us from that, um, that the, that we lose a sense for what does it mean to be generally not, uh, not of the world, but in the world that, that same vocation existed for Israel. Now, it was much more prescriptive through the the carrying out of the law. Um, So, for example, the intermarrying amongst the other people groups, the um, the exclusive worship of Yahweh, not not to confuse uh, the the, the varying other expressions of worship uh, or uh, introduction of other gods um, Mm -hmm. or, or other sacrifices. Um, so they're they're very much clinging to what makes what what's right to them uh, their their own sense of um, self entitlement uh, their own sense of really idolatry of self right they they're they're able to judge what's right and right. because of that they have lost their saltiness as Jesus might borrowing words from Jesus. Um, and as a consequence, um, we're now at this point, coming back to the context of this text, that uh, the, the perfect Father in heaven is not abandoning them, but is bringing out his belt, so to say, or his disciplining rod that happens to be um, the pagan uh, horde of, of Babylon. Right. Um, I know something that really caught my eye. I do not know about anyone else in the room or the sanctuary, really. It's when we got to verse 28. And today I'm reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible because it's the one here on my desk. Therefore, uh, thus says Yahweh, behold, I am about to give the city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. 
and the Chaldeans who are fighting against the city will enter and set the city on fire and burn it. It will be um, with the houses where the people have burned incense to Baal and uh, on their roofs and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke my anger. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. Uh, for the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares Yahweh. And even before that, uh, talking about even giving their own sons and daughters to Molech, uh, which w we gloss over that, uh, especially um, cultural Christianity or where, where everything, the emphasis is on the uh, the people outside of the church to come into the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Do not mishear me. It's important for us to, to, to invite people from outside of the church into the church, culturally speaking. But this very strong emphasis into being, I guess you could say, seeker sensitive is the, the, the current term uh, or the current phrase. Um, we don't talk about these things. And so what I like to hear to, to, from the text is how <laughs> Jeremiah does not means the words that God gives him to proclaim to the people saying, you've done all of these things in the name of religiosity, in the name of pragmatism, in the name of trying to, as you said, by your own standard, trying to worship me or worship someone else. Uh, are y'all in a meeting? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And uh, now you're on the podcast too. Yeah. <laughs> That's Sidana Park, everyone. That's our financial manager and office manager here at the church. Hello. All right. Bye. Yes, ma'am. So one of the things that I really like is the idea of God in making this proclamation about himself, the God of all flesh, which is very distinct from being the God of Judah or the God of Jacob. Why don't you uh, kind of walk us through the uh, the practicality or how do we live out this understanding of the God of all flesh versus the God of Judah or the God of Israel or the God of David? Oh, um, and, and I have less than an hour to do that, right? Um, so <laughs> five minutes, uh, I will try to do this succinctly. And I, sure. I, I continue to come back to Abraham because we're, we're talking about you know, Abraham's covenant um, it, it overarches the old covenant and the new covenant. But I come back to Abraham because this is the commissioning, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I, it's, it is, you, you frame things in the, the outward expansion of the church where some might hear that as um, we might be so focused evangelistically or missionally that we that we compromise um, our saltiness um, or our distinctiveness in order just to get people in the pew or in the chair, depending on the the architecture or design of the of the, the church's worship space. Um, but the call that has pervaded through this all, whether we're we're looking at the people of God in the course of the text that we're interacting with today the people of God who may be listening to this today is the, that that theme or that call for us all is to be a light into the nations, to testify right. to who God is, because he is the God of all flesh. Um, yeah, so we, we can't 
we can't disconnect um, or just simply drop in without coming back to the beginning of God's word that testifies to us. Through him, all things have been created. In fact, he spoke things into all existence. Through him, man, the first man and the first woman have come. Um, he has given life to them. Um, and he has purposed humanity for, uh, for his glory, for his worship. Um, and we, we serve him uh, in response to his grace and his mercy and his love with obedience. And that service to him is rendered um, through our missional engagement to reach the lost or be or to 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 missionally engage with bearing witness to him um, so being the God of all flesh and living this out um, today for the christian uh, it's it's actually not all that different than for the the the, the believer under the old covenant if you will um it's, it's living that, that life of faithful obedience in response to what God has done and what he's revealed to us about himself. Um, right. You and I today don't have to, uh, to sacrifice things at an altar or take things to a priest to sacrifice on our behalf. Um, we can go right to the master and go before his throne, confessing, repenting, praising, because he's made us priests unto ourselves by the, the, the work of Christ uh, and the ushering in of the new covenant. Um, the way in which we live bears witness to who he is to us. Um, uh, give me an example. Um, have a, a number of scenarios of things like this where there's really contentious issues in the country, election cycles, hot button issues. And um, I've been in scenarios, other brothers and sisters have been in scenarios where uh, they're in their, their workplace setting in corporate America. And you see like peers on your work groups who are like, no, I'm this or no, I'm that. And they're just talking at each other. And the Christian in the room is this level-setted uh, person whose boat is not getting rocked. And suddenly these two groups become aware of it. And they're like, hey, why, why are you not like, not, not disengaged from this conversation or this narrative, but why are you not blowing up or running over like others? Um, Right. And the testimony therein is, you know, that there is a God of all flesh. He is sovereign. He is the ancient of days. Um, and you can know him, but personally, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Um, Amen. But and there's there's uh, certainly the peace and, and all of those things that come with that relationship. Um but it's it's because he's the God of all flesh that and we know that he that he reigns. We know that he's sovereign over all um, that we we bear that witness to. Um, but not but and um, gives us the vocation to to bear the witness to those things about who he is and, and how they offer peace, um, how they offer unity or can they give us the opportunity to aspire to unity and surrendering um, the, the, the things that are not 
um, hard and fast to the faith um, it for the sake of unity um, right there there there's that that privilege and opportunity we have to do just that you're right um, as you explained that one of the things that came to mind is one of the uh, one of the blocks of scripture that very much guides the way we try to steer the discipleship component of the church so for that i would take us uh, briefly to deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning with verse 4 right the shema hero israel yahweh our god is one you shall love yahweh with all your heart with all your soul with all your might these words the law which i com am commanding you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall speak them um when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. It's that relationship component. So when, when and, and I think that's to cl further clarify where now we don't have to go and kill the, the fatted calf, we don't have to kill rams or goats or doves, it's rather... There, from the very beginning, God said, get to know me, and in getting to know me, you will reflect me. And in reflecting me, the world will be turned upside down, meaning, or really, yeah. right side up. Um, that's because right. of sin, having turned everything upside down. Right. Um, and I think that's very important um, for us and to... So, so just, just to, that, that turning of right side up. So that, that that's that's the fundamental thing, right, that, that pervades this. It's um, that sin and its introduction has created a fallenness to this world that we presume the world is actually operating the way it was intended to be. When I say right. the world, I'm not talking in the, um, the, the, the way that John talks about the world right now, right, as this separated thing. I am just talking about the, the bounds of this earth and cosmos in which we live that God has created. We're assumptive that things are actually working and operating as they should. Right. God's purpose is a purpose of restoration, right? And so we become agents or ambassadors to this kingdom and a kingdom purpose of restoring the order of God's intention within creation, which we know by our own energy and our own ability, we cannot bring to complete fulfillment. And that won't be the case until Christ's return. Um, right. But that that's our vocation, right? Do justice, right. Uh, uh, do mercy, walk humbly uh, in the midst of these things. That's right. Now you're quoting Micah 6, if I'm not mistaken. What right. does the Lord require? Um, one of the things that I took note during yesterday's sermon is also the um, the law of redemption. You, you brought us back to this command that God is giving Jeremiah, hey, someone's going to come, your cousin, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah. by their field and have witnesses, which is a very, it's, it's similar to getting your pen ready and going down to the, what is it, the um, the offices, uh, title offices, like for, title for, companies. Or for, yeah, or for a notary, yeah. Right, where you just, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're formalizing this contractual agreement that you're purchasing your land. So one of the things that I would like for you to kind of walk us through to better understand it and how we can 
apply this as we study the Bible is the law of redemption that we get from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, I and might how it to points to up. Christ. Because okay. I know that's where we go. We go to the cross, right? So how does it point to Christ? And how does this, how this should give us a sense of rejoicing when we read difficult texts like this? So um, in terms of what, uh, I'm going to frame this within the text that's going on right here. Okay. Um, so within this text, this idea of, of law of redemption um, is Jeremiah is the one who his cousin is uh, approaching, uh, who is left that is um, that is able to redeem what has been uh, within uh, commonly held within the family. Um, that is a signal to either a there's not anyone around within the family who still desires to retain possession of this property, at least in the more immediate nuclear family. Um, or uh, and or there are no of the next generation to inherit this property. Um, so that expansion then occurs to the next uh, ring of the familial unit, um, all with the intended design of keeping this within the family. Um, and so this idea of when um, when Jeremiah is presented this, uh, he does so and he records things in a sealed deed and an unsealed deed and he stores them in a means in which they'll be preserved. And so it becomes a very public testimony um, to really, from the world's eyes, a very stupid act, right? Uh, because he's now spent 17 shekels, that's what the text says, on property that, I, that in terms of the world's eyes, um, not even really sure Cousin Hanamel really owns anymore <laughs> um, because it's Babylon who's actually got their armies camped there. Um, but he still does it, right? And he still does this really, again, worldly stupid thing to invest money. Um, and mind you, he's also in jail, so it's not like he's got a bunch of cash flow coming in in this thing. I mean, even... Even the televangelists, when they're in jail, the, the 800 numbers aren't really flying off the hook then. Um, so the, there's just not that cash stream. Uh, who knows where he's raised these funds from, uh, but he spends it. Um, all with the, 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 the understanding that there's a future hope that goes beyond the immediate context. So connecting this to Christ. We are whether you're a Christian or not, as you listen to this, we each bear the image of God. We are, Amen. Each, we are each gods. I don't know if you realize that. We're each gods. Um, now, whether we've been redeemed or not, that's a question that has to do with uh, a matter of faith and trust and hope. And you, you have to answer that for yourself individually. Um, but God alone is the one who is able to redeem what is his. Um, right. And because we, every human being, because he's the God of all flesh, uh, God can and will and is ready to redeem every last person. That is the purpose of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and going to the cross 
um, to shed his blood that would cover the sin of whomsoever would trust upon him unto salvation. So because we are innately gods, because God has created us, because God has placed his image within us, God alone is able to redeem us. And God has done that very publicly, despite right. the shame and the humiliation that is a foreshadow only in this text in Jeremiah, to the shame and humiliation that Christ bore publicly on his way to the cross, on the Via Dolorosa, as well as most eminently on the cross. Um, right. The, 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 the mocking, the humiliation, the, uh, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the, the, the kicking, all, everything, the beating, the scourging, all of that, um, he bore publicly uh, in, in a very same way that Jeremiah stood to be humiliated for his public devotion to God. Um, we, we see this um, alluded to or foreshadowed by with this purchase of the field. Um, that, uh, that you, you see standing in the wings is the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, as a response, this would be also just something I add to this in a response to, to Christ's, uh, public, um, public act of humiliation, um, in atoning for the sin of whoever would trust, whoever would believe. Um, you also see well within scripture, the call to publicly confess Christ as Lord, if you have been led to faith. Um, right. So you, you see this in many an expression, but never, uh, at least through, um, the testimony of when we move into the new Testament, never do you find a person of faith who is, uh, doing this in quiet or doing this in the, in the, in the, um, in the absence of others. So as to say that you, your faith that God has given to you is something that God intends for you to take and make public. Um, right. I mean, can you be saved in the, in the quiet of your home? Yes. Um, but it's not to just to remain on your couch uh, until the end of your time, but it is something to, to, to declare publicly in the same manner in which if, if Christ has saved you, Christ uh, did publicly for you. Right. And, and that kind of leads us back into the text. Again, a quote, Behold, I will gather them out of the lands to which I have banished them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. And I will cause them to return to this place and make them inhabit, inhabit it in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, and they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. Um, and then here's, a, the, again, pointing further to the cross, right? And I will cut an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I mean... When you got to that part of the reading, and, and, and again, for those who are watching, Pastor Dan read the whole chapter right as he opened the sermon, which bears the heaviness uh, of the full intended message to those who are listening and reading along. 
you go through the, um, I'm done with you. I'm punishing you. Hey, buy this land. And it's, 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 and an, I'm, I'm illustrating for the people what is to take place after the, the appointed time of exile. But then here comes the hope, which is one of the things that you highlighted. God is leading the people. Yes. Through the rod, through the, the disciplining factor for their unfaithfulness. But then there's this hope that, yes, you're not my people because you've disobeyed me, because you have been unfaithful to me. But there will be a day when I will gather you back unto myself and I will not turn away from you. And I just find that to be comforting, um, but also a little bit, um, not a little bit, sorry, poor choice of words, but also I find it to be a heavy uh, reminder. So it's it's almost like a healthy tension, um, almost like a son or a daughter to a parent. Uh, it's a relationship, right? Right. Is I mean because this comes back to uh, I think I think what you're saying in this tension is the dichotomy that I think the New Testament believer has um, in their relationship with the Old Testament. And right. What I'm saying, what I'm saying specifically is sometimes we hear the narrative uh, that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. Right. Which is false, <laughs> which is yeah. false. Uh, and that's that's the point I'm intending to make or that, that we just made. Um, it's we just walk. Yeah, that, we're that, just two shoes on the a, on the same person. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a it's a false narrative. Um, but right. but you see. Um, maybe more overtly in the Old Testament, the um, the expectation or obedience to the law that in that disobedience brings about God's judgment. But again, I think I was just sharing this with you a little while ago. So mishpat mm -hmm. is the, yeah. the Hebrew word, right? Right. That we're talking about here. Um, and when I say judgment, so often we have been enculturated to hearing that word as Daddy's taking off his belt and probably sending us away, right? Right. It wants nothing to do with us. In fact, you, we hear judgment and we hear a disowning almost right. type of tone to it. I think that's our, our logical thing. Like, oh, when we're judged, we're cut off. Um, where mishpat, this idea of judgment, is actually intended to restore Right. So you connect this to the discipline of the ch of the child between the parent and child, like you were just uh, alluding to right now. When you discipline your boys, are you disciplining them? Have you rendered judgment against their action with the intention of kicking them out of your home? No, because then CPS would and, be involved <laughs> and, cu and cutting them off and cutting them off from you permanently. Oh, of course not. The, the no, whole idea of discipline you, is I want to, to see a better outcome in their life because I think that, I know better. And you have done that to restore them to an expectation. Right. Right. Because you as a father uh, and your wife as, as their mother are intending to raise uh, three boys who fear the Lord and right. are otherwise good citizens. Right. Um, yeah, we don't want to raise bumps. We don't do that. Right. So you you introduce discipline 
uh, when they have erred in their ways, to restore them to a standard and to establish what a healthy relationship and boundaries are. And we see that actually really clear in the Old Testament, right? Right. Um, yes. That's 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 what's going on. Is it's not it's not a a bolt throw lightning bolt throwing God who is ready to abandon. But it is a, actually a loving father who is ready and able to restore his people to himself, even though they have failed in their mission and vocation uh, that was given to them. Um, right. Is the discipline painful? Yes. 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 Is the discipline fun for the recipient or the giver? No. 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 Um, but is it necessary and is it a loving expression? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think that the tension is we believe that there's not this idea of um, relationship in that similar way in the New Testament, or at least for the New Testament believer. Um but you and I will know that because of what you just read about um, that he's putting the fear of him within our hearts, when we err, if we've been born again, and I'm not talking just common moral consciousness here or conscience, right? I am talking about life from the spirit, the spirit life from the spirit. When right. we err, there's that feeling, right? It's your heart sinks and you've got a gut punch when you know. That's the difference. Right. Now, so the, this idea of parental discipline and return and restore prevails. The manner in which God accomplishes it has changed. Right. And so um, to kind of give the, the corollary to that in the New Testament, it's the all too familiar verse. Everyone knows this verse, right? John three sixteen. Now people yeah. kind of stops kind of short of that particular connection, but here you have for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse seventeen. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, meaning to the to condemn the world, but rather to redeem the world. Uh, and, and so, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, verse 18 says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. So there's that component of relationship, the component of Mishpat being brought over now to the New Testament and how in our very much like the people from Israel with, the, with Assyria and the people of Judah with Babylon and uh, how, we, how we kind of, we are in attrition with God, because we want to have our cake and eat it too. Worship ourselves, focus on ourselves. But rather God is saying, 
No, because if you follow that to its fullest extent and its final conclusion, you will have eternal death. You will you will cease to be, or or rather, no, because we don't we don't teach nihilism, uh, meaning we don't believe that you just God kills you like that. We believe that there is a place called hell that is an eternal place of punishment, uh, and it's not what cartoons depict. It's not Satan going like this with a pitchfork. It is the full wrath of God poured onto sinners who did not willingly confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And so to see that brought into the, new, into the from the Old Testament to the New Testament and have this beautiful expression of love, for God so loved the world that he, he gave the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And all we have to do is confess him. I mean, that to me is just beautiful. And, and again, one of the things I love about the way that we approach the teaching and the studying of the scriptures here at this church is that there's that crimson thread that goes from Genesis yeah. all the way through Revelation and everything just kind of branches out from it. Yeah. Um, the love, the love redemption, which it's not just for property. It's also for relationships, uh, which we had, I think you're going to touch on some of that, uh, through Esther because of, you know, Esther also being a cousin being brought in, in under Mordecai. I believe you taught on that already as well with Ruth. Um, the, you know, the, the story of how we get, um, to Ovid and how we get to, uh, the Davidic line. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to see that, but anyway, coming back to the text, cause I'm taking too many, my brain is already working with cross references. So I'm sorry for that. But one of the things that I love here is how in a very difficult passage, in the middle of a very tenuous message, uh, in, the, in the middle of this bleak picture, right? So Jeremiah is imprisoned. He has been ridiculed, beaten down, um, almost left for dead, had it not been for the king extending mercy to him. And God is using him to to kind of go back to this saying that we constantly hear, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Um, and 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 I see how in the middle of going through the different uh, prophets, especially through the chronological reading, where you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, kind of together, because a lot of them were um, uh, contemporaries around the same right. time and some and definitely some overlap to see how from different men from different families backgrounds and regions of judah and israel how god is just delivering this beautiful message that points to the cross correct and so to me that to me is just mind-blowing because it speaks to the nature of god it's also exhilarating because it speaks to his love for his people and it's uh awe-inspiring at least to me, because it points to to the fullness of his glory. I mean, I don't know about about you, Dan, but I love to 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 think. For example, yesterday, thinking about the sermon afterwards, how how majestic is God's love? We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We never will. And yet, he goes to crazy extremes from humanity's perspective to show us his grace and mercy and to restore yeah. us as children 
it, it's mind blowing to me. And, and and this is certainly not the first time I've read through the Bible, but every time I do, I mean, just to see the beauty of his grace, his mercy, his long suffering nature and, and his sense of justice, not fairness, but his sense of justice. Um, Right. And, and 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 just to see that in chapter thirty-two, it's amazing. Right. So, anyway, um, like I said, my my brain went into cross-reference mode. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is tying so into so many places in scripture. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, th this is this is an integral part of um, or a high point believe it or not, at least in terms of um, what Jeremiah's contribution is to the canon overall. The chapters 31, chapter 32, even though the times that he's in are very low, so to say. Right. Um, the importance of these texts proved to be central both to the messages that are being preached by his contemporaries, but are being picked up also by uh, those who walk centuries after him um, and are led by the Spirit of God and inspired by the Spirit of God um, to write what we know as the New Testament. So the, the, we're in we're in high cotton in terms of uh, that that type of uh, text right now. Right. Um, so, do you have any any other thoughts? Any anything that you probably didn't have a chance to get to? Because now we have to. Well, yeah, so I'm wishing I had the I, sermon I is like 30 minutes. Yeah, I was wishing I had maybe 15 more minutes to make that connection to the law of redemption that I just did here. I'm like, oh, I, I really wish I had said that um, <laughs> yesterday. Um, no, I mean, it's it's just that it, it's it's you when you were reading from John three sixteen through 18 or 19. Um, mm hmm. Uh, the the being judged or, or not being judged um, that Paul picks up that uh, idea as well um, this idea of being obedient in faith so right. the, this this notion of being obedient to God the standard of that obedience is having faith um, faith in him and that faith prevails and should prevail through it all Whatever, whatever we're challenged with, whatever um, our circumstances or situations are, first and foremost, our faith is in Christ because he's redeemed us. Um, he has saved us from what we have done against him. Um, he has also saved us from um, what this world can do to us. Um, right. He has saved us from being caught in the murky mire that... Uh, that is really hopelessness in a, uh, a human-centric um, restoration, if you will. There, there is no high time for humanity. In fact, humanity's decline only continues. Um, so when there's whatever narrative of the day, and every generation is faced with this, he has also saved us for that future that is to come. And so right. it's, that's our hope. 
That is what our eyes and hearts are set upon. And that is what we testify to as we are obedient uh, and faithful to the master and service to, uh, to him and for him this day. Right. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I, we must be, um, be attentive to uh, as a result of being exposed to the Old Testament as we have as a church is one appreciate the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so the God who gave us Genesis as he was uh, speaking to Moses about this, this creation uh, element and how history came into being, when we see the God who <laughs> the God who delivers the people out of bondage uh, through the Exodus, when we see the God who delivers the people out of their stubbornness and pride and into the, the promised land with Joshua uh, and Caleb, when we see and, and when we read about how God says, you don't need a king because he's going to do all these things to you, but I'll give you one and I'll appoint him to you. Um, in all of that narrative, seeing how God is unchanging, his patience, um, but also the fact that he never once deviates from the covenant he made with Abraham. Again, coming back to the very beginning. Um, if you follow me out of your father's land, I will make you a great people and I will make you a blessing and your descendants will be as countless as the stars of the heavens or uh, innumerable as the grains of sand upon the seashore. I mean, what a promise. Now, mind you, he was elderly, married to an elderly woman as well and well past the rearing age uh, and conceiving age. So, what an awesome God so, we serve. <laughs> so was Elizabeth. Right, right. Is, is anything John the Baptist. too difficult, is anything too difficult for him? And, and, and again, we come back to this theme that's going around in our office, behold, I am doing a new thing. But that's the question, right? Is anything too difficult for God? And that's the question it's we not. have to each answer. Yeah. Well, right. It's not until we're faced with a new circumstance or a new challenge that we, we have to return to that text, certainly the entirety of the Bible. But that, that, that verse just screamed to me, is anything too difficult for me? Right, which is part of Jeremiah 32. Yeah. Right, as, as, he, as, as Jeremiah goes into his prayer, I believe. Yeah. Um, that is, um, and, and by the way, you say Elizabeth, because I, I, I'm guessing now we're getting ready for the transition to the New Testament. Um, but one of the things that, I, that comes from Elizabeth is how the father, the priest, who is by lot chosen to go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood, um, in the new temple, by the way, not the old temple, but in the new temple under Herod. Um, and how very, very much like the Old Testament people, truly not as God. Really? <laughs> and the angel says, well, because of this, you're going to be mute until the baby comes about. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, we haven't changed much, but God has not changed. We have not changed, and God has not either. So that, that's the sense of hope. 
Yeah. Anyway, one of the. Uh, do you have any other thoughts? Any comments? Right now we're at fifty-two minutes. We're doing pretty good. I got nothing. <laughs> so, one of the things that I would like uh, for us to kind of encourage those of you who are tuning in, uh, we want to make sure that you know that it is an honor to do this because one. Uh, we see this as an opportunity to go make, perhaps a little deeper, make other connections through the text uh, to hopefully encourage you to grow into the, the fullness of Christ. And it's always, for me, it's always a pleasure just to be with Pastor Dan uh, in person or online. He's a, he's a good friend. I'm, I'm thankful for him. And I'm, uh, it's also a great way for us to kind of encourage you if you are, if you are being led of the Holy Spirit, to confess him as Lord, but you are not fully certain. I think something that we want to ensure is for make, make sure you know that one, nothing's too difficult for God. Uh, your sins are not too heavy for him to lift of your shoulders and you're not too far gone. Um, the scripture says today is the day of redemption. So all you have to do is simply surrender your sins, confess him as your Lord, and repent of repent of your old lifestyle, and let the Holy Spirit take control. Um, so, anything to say to those points, Pastor Dan? Any words of encouragement you'd have for someone who may be feeling the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives to become a new creature? Because that's something I'm still celebrating from yesterday. Answer that question: Is anything too hard for God? And I hope you arrive at what God intends you to arrive at. And the answer is no. Nothing from your past, nothing you've done, um, nothing you've thought is too hard for God to forgive and for God to atone for. So what keeps you, what keeps you from surrendering? Aside from yourself, I'd ask you to just consider that. Mm -hmm.